morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Every time I hear Larry get up here and try to tell a joke, it reminds me of this story. <laughs> Apparently there was a new inmate uh, in a prison that found that at, at the evening meals, And actually, it was Tom who told me the story when he got out of jail. Um, but apparently, what he found was that the, after dinner, um, his fellow prisoners would stand around one at a time, and they'd call out numbers. And one would stand up and yell, four. And everyone would crack up laughing. They just had a great time. They'd be slapping their knee. They'd be having a good time. And they couldn't figure out, this new guy couldn't figure out what in the world is going on. And this went on for about 30 minutes. So finally, he asked someone next to him, he said, I don't understand what's going on. He said, well, most of us have been here so long that uh, we already know all the jokes, and to save time, we just put together a joke book. And we just yell out the number of the joke, and we all know what it is, and we laugh, and we have a great old time about it. So this guy wanted to be accepted by his uh, fellow prisoners, and he'd stand up, and he yelled, seven. Nothing. Nothing happened. Quiet. People would stare at him, look at him. He yelled, eleven. Nothing happened. And he went on and he did this. He caught four or five numbers and nobody laughed at anything that he said. So finally, out of frustration, he asked the guy next to him, he said, well, what's going on? What's the problem here? And one of the guys turned to him and said, well, I guess some guys just don't know how to tell a joke. <laughs> so, hey. But you just keep on trying. Did you hear the one about the attorney that, uh, no. <laughs> hey, last time we got together, we began to take a look at the problem of laziness. And uh, we saw several characteristics, and among those, the first four that we looked at um, kind of gave us a good idea. At least it begins to paint a picture, because I think most of us, if we were asked, we'd be confused as to what laziness is. You know, is laziness wanting to stay in bed on Saturday after you worked hard all week? Is laziness not getting up? Is laziness wanting to take a nap? I mean, we all have ideas about it, and the problem is that most of the time our ideas don't line up with what the truth is. So what we've been doing is trying to paint a picture that or is laziness laying on the person next to you in the first row. What is that all about? No. Anyway, hey, glad to have you here this morning. Um, but um, is, is that really laziness? Well, the good news is, no, that's not laziness. Um, that's friendship, actually, is what that is. But uh, we saw four things last week. Number one, laziness, according to the Bible, and that's what we base everything that we do as far as defining what is truth, is based on the Word of God. Jesus said to sanctify us or separate us in truth, that his people would be separated from the world that we live in by the truth, and that the Word of God is truth. And that's all that this is all about, is finding what is truth. There is such a thing as truth, and it is absolute. And so as we look at this, the characteristics of laziness, number one, were that a lazy person depends on other people to give them direction. Uh, we saw in Proverbs 6 the story of the ant as the ant had no captain or overseer or no one to give supervision, yet it continued to do the work that was at, at hand. And uh, many of us have to ask ourselves the question, are we motivated to get anything accomplished in life without being told what to do? And if the answer is no, we must wait for supervision or direction, then we fall into the guilty category of being lazy according to the Word of God. Number two, the lazy person fails to plan ahead. Everything they do is live, basically you live for the moment, live for today, and there's no thoughts or future consideration. A lazy person, according to God, does everything for the now and the present and has no concept of the future. Number three, a lazy person doesn't maintain what he or she has. We need to take a look at that. Are the things that you have in life, do you maintain those? The things that God has blessed you with, do you take care of them? You know, a lazy person does not maintain what he has. And the fourth thing that we saw is that a lazy person desires things like 
All of us do. We all have desires, but the lazy person does not work for those things. Would hope that they're handed to them or whatever. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, is that if this is true of you, you're falling into that category according to the word of God, according to what God calls a lazy person. But if that's not enough, there's more. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Proverbs 26, 15 for a second. The lazy person, according to the Bible, makes no effort to meet even their most basic of human needs. Proverbs 26, 15. Gives us a very vivid, vivid picture of what God calls a lazy person. Proverbs 26, 15, we read this. The sluggard, again, there's a wonderful thought for a moment. The sluggard says, the sluggard buried, I'm sorry, verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Think of, look back at Proverbs 19 for a second and look at verse 24. It's even more vivid. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Could you imagine? God is great. I love the picture of that. I mean, just think about someone sitting at a table and they're going to eat and their food's in front of them and it's like there's not a fork on the table. Or they have to get up and get it. So there's no sense getting up and get it. What we're going to do is we'll just kind of go like, yeah. But we just stick our, our hands in the food and we're so lazy we can't even lift it to our mouth to eat. And the obvious point here is that there are many of us who are so lazy that we will not even meet our most basic human needs. That's available to us, it's in front of us, it's there, but there takes a little bit of effort to reach it and to utilize it. Now you think, well, what in the world does this have to do with anything that you can think of? Well, you know, if you look at this picture, obviously there's a problem here with lazy people. And lazy people are just that. They, they, they put no effort into anything. Even the most basic of things that are required to live. Our country has some very real problems. Uh, among those problems are the hungry and the homeless. And please listen to me very carefully this morning as we go through this because I want to try to, to, to bring a truth across hopefully in a manner that you don't become so defensive or offended that you don't listen to what's being said. All right? So please do that. Don't, don't pass judgment on what I'm about to say or what I say without considering very carefully what the Bible is saying. We've got some very real problems in our society, and none of us can deny that. We see it all the time. It's evidenced around us. The, the, the question that, that comes to my mind as I prepare this is, have we created many of those problems by simply violating the principles of the Word of God. There's no doubt the problems are there and we see that. We've got to ask ourselves some questions. Why do those problems exist? And I think God gives us some insight to help us to understand it. We've got social programs that have become an endless, bottomless pit. We need to understand why that is true. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to take a look at a section of Scripture that is going to be very offensive. No way around it. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. As it pertains, and remember the context in which we're speaking. Because it's so easy to take everything that's said out of context, and let's try to keep it in context of the problem of laziness and what the Bible says as far as laziness is concerned, and not try to make it a statement of anything else. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verses 6 through 15. And... 
you tell me what this says. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he might be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Interesting, isn't it? We have numbers of people that uh, do not want to work, yet would like society to pick up the tab. That's a fact, whether you like to hear it or not. God says simply this, if you do not work, you don't eat. Now, that's going to be very offensive to our culture, particularly a society that has come to the mistaken belief that we are entitled to stuff for nothing. I know that. And I know sharing this, that it's very offensive. The question that I have is, what does it mean? What in the world does this mean? It doesn't take a genius to sit here and read this. The contrast is simple. There is a disciplined or orderly way to live, and there is an undisciplined way of living that's not pleasing to God. And in fact, it is wrong before God. And what he's saying is very simple. If you choose to live an undisciplined lifestyle and you don't want to work and you want to live off of handouts and you want a free ride in society, God says if you're a believer that we're to stay away from you because you're living a life that's wrong before God. And the reason that we're to do it is to shame you into getting back and working hard and making a living and eating the fruit of the labor at which you work. Now, it's interesting to me because it creates quite a quandary, doesn't it? And so as we look at this, we need to ask ourselves some questions. And I believe that the Bible says very clearly this, that anyone who is given any type of support in our society, that is support generated from those who are working, and we call it our tax dollars at work or whatever you want to call it, I believe that anybody who gets a free, free ride or a handout is, should be required to work for it. That's as simple as this gets. Now, and, and, the, and what God is trying to point out is that it is a lifestyle and a learned behavior. And if we teach people to sit home and we'll send you a check, they're learning they don't have to do anything to get the check. It's not that hard to see this. And so this may be radical, but some of you who are older remember this from the days of the Conservation Corps. Hey, you know what? If you couldn't find a job because the economy was bad and you were going to get a check from the government, you went out and planted trees. Hey, what's wrong with that? Maybe that's what we need to do. If the government's going to hand you money not to work, then at least they could do is provide some material for you to go to work. And so we'll give you some trees and you go plant them. We'll give you a bag, you go clean a road. We'll give you paint, you go paint the urban areas of our, city that, of our cities that are decaying. We'll provide the material, you provide the sweat. 
Maybe that's what it's going to take to get back to a concept of understanding what it means to work. What in the world are we doing in our society? What are we doing to the work ethic? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're destroying it. We're teaching people they can have a free ride. And if, hey, you know what? And if I could have a free ride and I can enjoy to whatever degree of comfort that is that that free ride will give me, it just encourages my sin nature that's lazy to begin with and that's selfish to begin with and it's greedy to begin with. And it just says, you know what? It's not your fault. You're a victim of your environment. And that's exactly what's come out of the 60s. And we've lost a generation that used to know how to work. Consider this for a moment, that government handouts have become a trap and a, and a lifestyle. Rather than becoming a means to an end, they have become an end to itself. They have become a learned way of living. Consider this quote. Millions of men and women whose parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents managed to survive centuries of war, dislocation, slavery, oppression, and poverty have had generations of traditional values and habits destroyed during a few decades of what should have been an increasingly stable and peaceful time. This process has not been cheap. Since the 1960s, the government has plowed trillions of dollars into welfare programs, and the administration of these programs has become a huge industry in itself. At present, it takes more than 5 million well-paid government employees to deliver $109 billion yearly to some 42 million working-age women and their children. Clearly, one segment of society is benefiting from the failed programs, but it's certainly not those caught in the poverty trap. It says the real failure is not the government's generosity, but its approach. George Gilder, the social critic and author of Wealth and Poverty, vividly describes the process that fuels this problem. He writes... A 15-year-old girl in the ghetto is doing poorly in school, fighting with her mother and afraid of men in the house. She wants to escape, and when she is 16, the government offers her a chance for independence. She can get her own apartment, medicine, legal aid, and a combination of welfare payments and food stamps. But there's a catch. To get these benefits, she must bear an illegitimate child, and she must not work. In the face of such overwhelming inducement from the state, illegitimacy is no longer penalized and thus comes to be seen as acceptable, an acceptable form of behavior. And under those circumstances, there's little wonder that millions of young women have launched children into the welfare culture. The result is aid to families with dependent children, which has created a permanently subsidized class, subsidized class with built-in disincentives for family and work and at huge cost to taxpayers. Some five million young women who bear illegitimate children are paid a monthly sum provided, the catch is, they do not work and they do not get married. But what is even more frightening is that this is a process that self-perpetuates. The breakdown in family life has an immediate effect on the children since it is in the family that human beings learn manners, hygiene, speech, discipline, morality, values, and the importance of getting and holding a job. Once the cycle of dependency has begun, each generation sinks deeper and deeper into despair and hopelessness. It is difficult to break and nearly impossible to escape, and it has become the moral hazard effect. And it's a tragedy that we would do that to any human being. We're not helping people. It seems logical. But the problem with most things that seem logical, that aren't biblical, disaster is sure to follow. And that's really the problem. 
We have taken men and women who for years, and as he says, the tradition of working hard, and we have destroyed them in 20 years. Another example is our prison system. You've got five to six million nonviolent offenders who are paid not to work by six million government bureaucrats who are paid to keep these people from working. What's wrong with this picture? Duh. You know, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out. We need to get back to the Word of God. That's as simple as it gets. We need to get back to the Word of God. Number six, <clears throat> a lazy person is not reliable. Go back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. A lazy person is not reliable. Proverbs 10, verse 26, we read this. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Now, I can't remember the last time... I had a glass of vinegar. It's, now, the smoke to the eyes thing, I could relate to. Have you ever sat in a smoky restaurant or wherever you've been? Man, it is like the most nasty thing in the world. And the point is, I, the point is it's, use, you know, it's useless. It doesn't do any good. And so he's saying that a lazy person is like vinegar to the teeth. And I could just, like, almost when you think about it, you just kind of like your mouth starts going, oh, oh, man, that doesn't seem like it would be doing much good there, does it? And the smoke to the eyes. And the point that he's making is, hey, that's what a lazy person is to someone that sends them out to do something. They're a total waste. You ever try to send a lazy person to do something? And remember, we know who some of those people are. We talked about them last week. They have your last name. They're younger than you. Okay, now picture it for a second. Now picture it. Picture it for a second. All right? All right. Yeah, tell them. Hey, would you go do this? Hey, how many, okay, let's see, show of hands. How many of you had this happen? Please say that you did, because otherwise we got a lot more work to do around our ranch. But um, it's like, would you please go do da 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 All right, how many of you ever required? Uh-huh. Okay, good. And how many of you have ever had them, like, disappear? <laughs> it's like a magic show. Whoa, let's see if we can make them come back. Hey, behind the curtain, where did they go? Where did he or she go? And then when you finally find them, an hour later at a friend's house, it's like, what happened? What? Uh, yeah, yeah, you've been there. Hey, what? I mean, where, I mean, did you do what I asked you to do? When? And you know, they, they pull that... John Travolta routine from Welcome Back Hotter Days. Huh? What? When? Huh? Who? It's like, and then, and then, and then the the kids, the, the the last. Oh, you meant now? Oh, ew! That's where we made a mistake. So now we do that. Would you go do this now? All right. Now we're getting it a little. We're narrowing it down, and uh, and then it's like, oh, I forgot. Oh well, maybe I'll forget to feed you someday. You know what I mean? Oh, you didn't eat today. Oh, I forgot. Oh, we locked you out of the house. You live here. Oh, I forgot. Man, now we're talking. We'll, we'll, hey, thank you very much. We'll get them to remember. We'll get them to remember, won't we? Somehow or another, we'll get them to remember. Well, the point is, all it is is laziness. That's all it is. You send them to do something, they don't do it. They're lazy. 
Can you imagine having people in your office like that? No, I don't have to. We know some. <laughs> this isn't a stretch here. Oh, you need that report when? Oh, you know, but we don't, you know, we don't go die. I forgot. I was like, oh, I, I was working on something else. Oh, kidoki. Hope it's for someone that will give you a job. <laughs> but, but we're not reliable. You know, it's like lazy people aren't reliable. Okay, number seven. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 4. Proverbs 24, what does it say? It says this. The sluggard. I almost want to make you nickname your friends that are lazy. That, you know, yo, hey, sluggo. <laughs> well, but you really know. It'd be like your joke with God, you know. It's like, hey, sluggo. Maybe oh. think like sluggo. Oh, okay, you know. Rather than slug. Um, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Point. When things get tough, lazy people don't do anything. They don't do anything. You know, it's saying, you know, it, it's inferring, you know, it's kind of like they don't rise to the challenge. You know, even that saying infers that you have to get up and do something. See, they don't rise to the challenge. What is it? you got to get up and do something. You're faced with adversity, get up and do something. And this is very difficult because some of us are in a position where, okay, it's a tough economy. Oh, things are so bad. Man, you know what's so amazing is I sit around thinking, listen, everybody says how bad things are. I'll start to believe it after a while. It's like, well, what are you supposed to do? Just sit there and go, things are so bad. That's right. I guess what we have to do is either believe it and accept it or get up and do something about it. So you've got to work harder to make what you used to make. But the opportunity, God is saying, is still out there in front of you, but you have to get up and do something about it. Sit around, suck your thumb, feel sorry for yourself all that you want. It's not going to solve your problems. Get off your butt and do something about it. There's no other way to get around this. If you don't, you're lazy. That's all there is to it. You're not a victim of your circumstances. You're not a victim of society. You're not a victim of a layoff. You're not a victim of a tough time. You're not a victim of an economy. You're lazy. Now, I realize it's frustrating, too, because for those who are out there trying to do something about it, oftentimes you run into closed doors. And it gets real frustrating. And it gets, you know, demoralizing. And that's why we need to come together and be encouraged by the Word of God. And God loves us and cares for us. And David said as he looked back on his life, he never saw God's people go without or left wanting. God promises us if we look at the birds of the sky and we look at the lilies of the field, that God will take care of us more so because he died for us and loves us and created us. And he gave us all the world and the universe at our, to be submissive to us, to make a living and to provide for us and our families. Either you believe that or you don't. So you sit around, suck your thumb, feel sorry for yourself, and watch the news and read the newspapers, or you can believe the God who created you, and you can take him at his word when he says that the opportunity is there, you just need to go out and do something about it. But it's your choice. How does it relate to laziness? Very simple. Some of us get so tired of trying to get out there and do something that we give up and quit. But God says this, don't you ever grow tired or weary of doing good. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know. I'd rather trust God and go out and try to do something and make something happen than sit around and wait for somebody to give me something. Because I don't know where you're from, but where I grew up, no one would give you anything. What you had, they tried to take. <laughs> and so you hung on to it. You know, that's just the way it is. But what did lazy people do? Things are tough. Just sit back. Go ahead. 
And the more of you that do it, the easier it is for the rest who are out there trying to accomplish something to get it done. So in a way, I may be hurting my family by telling you this stuff. But it's the truth, so we've got to do that. Number eight, Proverbs 22.13. 22.13, this is great. Lazy people, they make excuses for everything. 22.13, check this out. I love this. Old Sluggo, Sluggo says, Hey, I can't go do that because there's a lion outside. And I'll be slain in the streets. Isn't that great? Why did you go out and cut the grass today? Dad, there's a lion in the yard. <laughs> Can't go out there. Oh, okay. Interesting. You see what he's saying? There's always an excuse. Lazy people got more excuses. In fact, it takes them more work and energy to come up with excuses than to go do it. Have you ever said that? It's like, like my son's here. I made him come to listen to this. But... No, no, no. The right answer was, he just can't get enough of this good stuff. Anyway, um, so it's like, you, you go, would you go get the newspaper out of the driveway? What newspaper? Well, the one you tripped over, number one. There's a clue for you, right? No, the one that's sitting out in the driveway. You know, our house isn't that big. The driveway's not that long. The chances of finding it are very, very good. It's like, oh, and then we stand there and debate for 10 minutes how I think he went out the last time. Why doesn't his sister go out this time? You know, and we debate this thing for hours about getting the newspaper. By then, it's the next day the news is old. <laughs> we don't need it. So you just leave it there. And if we leave it long enough, we'll just let the recycling guy come and just pick it up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You got neighbors like that. Pick up your newspapers. You ever see somebody like newspapers piled up all over? You see them driving up and down the driveway. They're driving over. It's like, what is this? Like, are they trying to make it exciting to get into their garage? You know, like driving around it. Pick it up. Throw it in their yard for them. Get it off the street. But the point is, Lazy people got excuses for everything. Now, let me ask you some tough questions. Are you lazy? Are you lazy? Go through the list. Are you lazy? It's tough times around the house. What effort are you making to do something about it? Somebody tells you to do something, are you reliable? Will you get the job done? When you're asked to do something, when it's, not even asked to do something, will you initiate it on your own? There's a revolutionary idea. Um, or is everything an excuse? See, the wonderful thing about the Bible is it just paints it the way that it is, and then we have to deal with it. So now, let me just share with you, because this is important to understand. Some of you think, well, I'm just lazy, that's the way it is. My dad was lazy, my granddad was lazy, everybody I know was lazy, and we just kind of like, we got away with it for a long time. Well, no, you haven't, because, see, there are consequences of being lazy consequences of being lazy. I'll guarantee you, and this, and this is the rub here, and this is what I'm so, so concerned about for my children. Now, you can be concerned about whatever you want, but I'm concerned for my children because I believe what God says. If he says there are consequences for a lazy lifestyle, then I believe him. And I don't want this to happen to my kids. I don't want number one to happen to my kids. Laziness, the consequences, deterioration. Ecclesiastes 10.18, written by the same man, inspired by the same Holy Spirit, writes this. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Because of laziness, the building decays. <laughs> some of you know, some of you, <laughs> some of you know, you're looking around your house going, whoa, this is like, whoa, God's speaking to me. Um, you know, and meanwhile, your wife's going, I told you, I told you. It's like, you know. But it happens. Through laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. 
It doesn't take a genius to see this truth. Listen to a few things. Without proper diet, without proper exercise, your body is going to deteriorate. Look around. Number two. Hey, you know, sometimes you need these word pictures, huh? Uh, number two. Without proper maintenance, your car will fall apart. Your house will fall apart. Right? Are y'all in agreement here? Yes. Okay, good. Y'all uncomfortable yet? That's ah, going to get worse. Without a proper attention, without the proper time invested, your marriage will fall apart. Your friendships will fall apart. Your family will fall apart. Without the proper attention and effort and continued training, your business opportunities will fall apart. Without studying the Word of God and time spent in prayer and in fellowship and accountability with other believers, your spiritual life will deteriorate as well. It's not hard to see the truth of the consequence of laziness. Let me give you a, a personal example that, that happened to me in 1986. In 1986, I was working as vice president of sales for a manufacturing company that supplied the contracting industry. And... Uh, the guy that I was working with at the time had taken over the business from his father who had began the business and had maintained the business and owned the business quite successfully for over 40 years. His dad was in his 70s and he took us in his office one day and came by the office and visited and said, you know what, I want to advice. So for 45 years I've been in this business and he said this, I've seen endless number of customers and suppliers either go out of business or worse yet, pass away. And he said, and other than a few exceptions, a very few exceptions, said one or all of the following th three things were involved. Number one, toys. Toys. Vacation, leisure time, golfing, Hobbies, flying airplanes, buying expensive cars, getting that second house. He said, toys were always involved. He said, number two, women. Now, this is a blessing to you ladies, but listen up here. He said, women. And what he meant very simply was this, a lack of self-control in, in sexual areas of life. He said, women. Number three, in his culture, was alcohol but he added drugs because his son that he was speaking to, he knew had a cocaine problem. So he sat us down and he gave us this word of wisdom and advice and more a prophetic warning about what was to lie ahead. About a year and a half after um, I got fired from that job for dealing with these things on an ongoing basis, within a year and a half after that, the company liquidated. Forty-five years of hard work was gone in a year and a half. Up this guy's nose. This business generated over $300,000 a year to this individual. And it wasn't a week that went by they didn't pull up in some new sport car with some new gal sitting in the seat doing a line of coke somewhere before he showed up. You know, and, and you, you, you think of this and you look at what the Bible teaches, God knows what's going on. 
He's no fool. And he's trying to help us. And the simple point is, is that this guy lost everything. Because of cocaine and alcohol and sexual immorality, adultery in this case, and his toys. His Lamborghini, his airplane, his golfing, everything. Why? Because he got to the point where he didn't think he had to work anymore. So while he thought that working hard was some kind of a crime, he hardly worked. And he's hardly seen anymore. Because of laziness, the building deteriorates. The bottom line is he didn't want to work. And this warning holds true for all of us. Spiritually, physically, socially, intellectually, we must always work hard. I love Luke 2.52 that talks about our Lord, Jesus Christ. It says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and gaining favor in both the sight of God and man. Isn't that interesting? The example that we have. He worked hard physically, intellectually, spiritually, and socially. It's hard work in all those areas. But it's worth it because the consequence is deterioration. Number two is that the Bible says that there'll be trouble in your path. The consequences of laziness are nothing but trouble. Proverbs 15:19 says, "The way of the slothful." There we go. You can get another nickname for someone. Hey, sloth, what's going on? The way of the slothful man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. Like that, laziness is like a hedge of thorns. There's nothing but problems and hurts and pain in such a lifestyle. Nothing good comes out of being lazy. Nothing at all. It needs to be cleared away. It needs to be removed from your life. The whole idea of laziness needs to just be eliminated and obliterated from your life. In fact, he says it's perverse compared to hard work and uprightness before God. Proverbs 22.5, not 4. 22.5 says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Obviously, he's talking about thorns in a, in a spiritual standpoint. He who guards his soul. Not talking about his physical life, but his soul. Laziness is a great deterrent in our spiritual life as well. Why haven't some of us grown in our faith? Because we're lazy. Why? Oh, it's too hard to get up in the morning. It's hard to go to church. It's hard to read your Bible. We don't have time for this. Don't have time for that. Don't have time to pray. Don't have time for fellowship. Don't have time for accountability. Don't have time for anything. Well, gee. Well, I guarantee you that you won't grow in that area of your life. Because the only areas you're going to grow are the areas that you make time and put effort in. It's as simple as it gets. And it's interesting to me, and I want to put this all together, because 20, Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Which is the right way before God, but I want to tie it all together because I want you to see the connection. Another warning that pertains to laziness is simply this, that parents are to train their children. Parents are to train their children. Now listen to me carefully. Parents are to train their children. According to the Bible, it is the primary responsibility of the parent to train their children in the way that he should go. It's not the responsibility of the teacher at school. It's not the responsibility of a coach on the field. 
It's not the responsibility of a pastor or a nanny or a grandparent or an uncle or a friend or a daycare worker, but it is the responsibility of the parent to train their child. That's the primary responsibility that we have as parents, to train our children. Now, it's wonderful, and I appreciate all the support that we get and encouragement from others outside of our home to help us do what we need to do, to train our children in the way before the Lord that's right. And I appreciate the grandparent that could do it, or the coach that could do it, or the teacher that could do it, or the pastor of the church or the Sunday school teacher or whoever that can reinforce what we've already started. That's good. I appreciate that. But I can't count on them to do it because it's my job. See, it's my job to do it. And there's a terrible consequence if you're so lazy that when you come home at night that you don't have time to train your children. There's a terrible consequence that if you're too busy with your own agenda of either getting your education or making some kind of a financial gain in life, there's a tremendous consequence if you don't have the time to train your children. Because at the root of the problem is simply laziness. That's all that it is. I'm too tired. Who's not too tired? We're all too tired. We're all too tired to do whatever. But we make choices of what we feel is important to do. And we do it. But God says you can't get off the hook. That's your primary responsibility as a parent to train your child. It's a responsibility of a parent to discipline a child when they need discipline. It's a responsibility of a parent to teach your children about the Lord and the Word of God. It's a responsibility of a parent to teach and explain to your children the following things. Things such as morality and values and ethics as they're found in the Bible. Things that are already mentioned like manners and hygiene and speech and discipline. And the importance of getting and holding on to a job. That's the primary responsibility of the parent. And the parent that does not train their children sends someone out into society who's going to be totally useless. And it's your fault. And we need to understand that. Because it all pertains to laziness. We need to teach our children the value of a dollar. We need to teach our children what it means to work for a living. We need to teach them what it means to save and to work for things that they may want downstream and not just give it to them today. We need to prepare them to live in reality land. That's what we need to do. We need to teach them that work is good. That we are created in the image and likeness of God and that God saw that work was good. Work is not a curse. God saw that work was good. He created us in His image and likeness. And He said to the man, He said, go out. And He said, hey, trim those trees. Cut the grass. Prune. Name the animals. Physical work. Intellectual work. And He didn't say that one was more important over the other. And there's not that great social caste structure that was built into the Bible. That was created by man. And let me close and read this to you. God called mankind to cultivate the world that he had created and to exercise dominion over it. This was a call to work, to perform both manual labor and intellectual labor. One was not set above the other as greater or more important, a mistake frequently made by subsequent civilizations. This high view of labor with its just compensation resulting in private property was encoded and enshrined in the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. You shall not steal. You shall not cover your neighbor's house or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. To the ancient Jews, work was life. And they had a saying, He who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. Although their training made them the equivalent of college professors, the Jewish rabbis did not accept money for teaching. 
Each learned a trade at which he worked with his hands and by which he supported himself. Rabbis were tailors and shoemakers and barbers and bakers and even performers. For the Jew, work was a gift from God. In Ecclesiastes we read, It is good and proper for a man to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun, to accept his lot and to be happy in his work. For this too is a gift from God. This was a radical notion contrary to the most prevailing wisdom of the great pagan civilizations of the day. Most Greeks considered work a curse. The gods hated mankind, Homer argued, and out of spite condemned man to toil. The Greeks called work panos, from the Latin pana, meaning punishment. Artisans and craftsmen were regarded as little better than slaves, while slavery itself was an institution that was based on the loathing of work. Plato and Aristotle promoted a two-story concept of work, that the majority of men should do the heavy lifting so that the minority, like themselves, might engage in higher pursuits such as art and philosophy and politics. Across the Adriatic, Cicero allowed that for Romans there were only two worthy occupations, agriculture and big business, especially if these could lead to a comfortable retirement. And I like the next sentence. But Christianity changed all of that. <laughs> Did it really? Did it really? Man, I love the bumper sticker. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. I like that. I didn't even know what it meant until my wife explained it to me. <laughs> I said, man, that's a weird bumper sticker. She's like... And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, but it's true, isn't it? Look at the disciples. They were fishermen. They were hard workers. But Christianity changed all of this. <laughs> oh, man. Matt. Let me ask you a question. What's your view of work? What's your view of work? A curse or a gift? You know when you discover it's a gift? When you're out of work. Hallelujah. Amen. That's right. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth. That's when you know it's a gift from God. What scares me is, what's the attitude that you project to your children about work? Man, you grew up in a house where dad and mom hate to work hard. You're not going to be in a hurry to go out and work. You go out in a house where, you know, it's like you're baptized in vinegar and you have to go to church. Man, I remember thinking, have to go to church? When I get old enough, I'm not going to have to do that. You know what? I come because I like to come. I work because I love to work. I love what I do. And I do show up on time and we do do a good job. And we finish what we start. <laughs> But I love it. I love it. And I want my kids to see that I love it. What's your attitude toward work? Most of ours is, I can't wait to retire. Well, here's a scary thought. Most people, within six months after they retire, they die. Why? There's no purpose to living anymore. God, help us to understand what the Bible teaches. Are you lazy? If you are, 
then these consequences are sure to follow. I'll guarantee it. Helen Keller writes this, The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. I like that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to uh, take a look at your word, to see what you have to say, to hold the mirror up in front of us, which is your standard is the Bible, to cause us to look in that mirror to see how we line up. Laziness is determined by you and by your word alone. God, help us to see that if you call us lazy and we're guilty of those characteristics, then we need to confess that. We need to repent. God, help us to be so frightened by the consequences of laziness that we get up and we work as hard as we can, doing everything for your glory. And God, may we never, ever again, ever, ever, do anything less than to praise you and thank you for the ability to make a living to provide for our families. God, we just thank you for that. No matter what it is that you have allowed us to do, whether we're digging a ditch or whether we're writing a book or whether we're driving a truck, God, whatever it is that you have us doing, that every day that we go and we do it, we do it all to glorify you and to give you the thanks and the praise so that our kids can see the value and the goodness that's found in work. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.